You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. I have to confess, I did not read this book as a child. Um, my parents didn't really believe in reading to children. Uh, and I also have to confess that I did not read it to my son either. So I had to order this. I know, Judy's over there shaking her head like, I can't believe this guy. Uh, and my son loved trains too. It makes it even worse. I had to order this off of Amazon. And I had to read it because I wasn't entirely sure what the story was. Forgive me, we pray. Anyway, all right. It's good to be here with you this morning. Our scripture for today is from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. It'll be on the screens as we read it together. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and then he went to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite movies is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the original 1971 version, not the Johnny Depp version. That was terrible. But in that original version, at the beginning of that movie, well, when they're about to go into the factory, it's not the beginning of the movie, these five winners of the golden tickets appear at what appears to be this giant contract on the wall. And Wonka insists that they must sign this contract before they can go in. And the contract says, at least at the beginning, and I quote, Whereas for damage caused by lightning, earthquakes, floods, fire, frost or frippery of any sort, kind or condition, consequently the undersigned undertakes responsibility and then the writing gets so small that you can't Read it. (laughs) Just like a lot of contracts that we sign. It's a standard form of contract, says Wonka, as he argues with some of the parents that are standing there, but you can't go into the factory unless you sign it. And so they do. 
There's a couple of places in Luke's gospel, including the section that we read this morning, where Jesus outlines what it means to be his disciple. Later on in Luke's gospel, in chapter 14, he's a little more explicit. Whoever does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brothers and sisters, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If you do not give up all of your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. And he gives two illustrations in chapter 14 of Luke's gospel to make his point. The first one, and I'm paraphrasing, is don't build a tower without first knowing what it's going to cost you to build the tower. Otherwise, you're going to build part of it, and then you're done, and you have a tower that's basically useless. The second illustration is don't go to war without first making sure that your army is big enough to defeat the other army. Jesus is clear. (laughs) Following him is not easy. And before we say yes, we really need to know what we're saying yes to. At what we know is the Last Supper, Jesus institutes what he calls a new covenant. And we'll be reminded of that this morning as we are every Sunday, this new covenant poured out for us and for many for the forgiveness of sins. But to really understand what Jesus is saying when he mentions a new covenant, we need to go back to the Hebrew scriptures where this idea of a covenant is mentioned more than 300 times. Think Noah or Abram or Abraham as he becomes. Think Moses. These covenants throughout history Times where God has chosen to define his relationship with God's people and the way in which we will interact with one another. In our modern context, sometimes a marriage is defined as a covenant, defining the way that we will live together, an agreement that defines what that relationship really is. And we say, I will or I do, to all these questions that were asked Now, in Scripture, these covenants are sealed by the blood of a sacrificial animal, which thankfully we don't do in weddings. In the case of Jesus, he is the sacrificial animal that binds this new covenant between God and God's people. And we're reminded of what God has done for us, but we're also reminded of what God calls us to do. We know that Christ came to establish God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it every Sunday. But we are called to participate with God in the building of that kingdom. God has equipped each one of us, every single one of us here in this room with different gifts and abilities. And he calls us to use them for his glory. And we shouldn't take that lightly. But sometimes, at least in my history of the church, it feels like we missed the mark just a little bit. It feels like in talking to different people over the years that sometimes we equate the gospel to a set of beliefs. If I just believe the right things, 
then I'm free to live however I want, right? Or we think of the gospel as going to church. Well, yes, that's certainly a good thing to do, to be a part of a community of faith so we can grow together and support one another, but is that it? Or we equate the gospel to being a good person, (laughs) whatever that means. It's a question that we should all wrestle with as we seek to be the people that God has called us to be, to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, and it should challenge us. It should make us uncomfortable. And I hope that as you heard these words from Jesus this morning in Luke chapter 14, I hope you were squirming in your chairs, as we all should be when we hear what Jesus calls us to do. Certainly more than once in my life, God has called me to do things to which I either said no or yes, but. For example, I told Suzanne not long after we got married that I would never do youth ministry. A good friend of mine was the youth director at St. Luke's. I'd gone on a couple of mission trips. I helped out on a Sunday night every once in a while. And even when he called me and told me that he was leaving for another position at another church, I was not interested, not even a little bit. And I did youth ministry for eight years after that. So be careful what you say no to. Because sometimes I think when we say no, God sees that as a challenge, at least with me. Several years later, when I felt God calling me to pastoral ministry, I didn't say no. Maybe I'd learned something along the way. But I did say yes, but for a long time. Yes, but the church can be so frustrating sometimes. Yes, but I don't want to go to school. I don't like school. Yes, but think about how expensive this is going to be. Yes, but, and the list can go on and on. Now, some of you have heard this before, but it wasn't until the summer of 2014 when Reverend Barry Hookster and I were having one of our regular conversations about all of my butts. All of my reasons why, I was like, yeah, but. And he said, you know, just try it. Because sometimes we just have to stick our toe in the water to find out if something is the right thing to do or if it's not. So I said, okay. I jumped in. I signed up for classes through Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky. All right, God see what you got. It's kind of how I looked at it. And I really thought I would do one semester (laughs) and be done. But one week into that first semester of seminary, now remember I'm the pianist at St. Luke's, I'm the choir director at St. Luke's, and now I'm the youth director at St. Luke's, and now I'm going to seminary full-time. One week into that first semester of seminary, Barry was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And three weeks later, he passed away. So now I'm the pianist, the choir director, the youth director, the pastor, at least for a while. And I'm in seminary full time and don't think I didn't call them and see if I could drop those classes. (laughs) But it was too late. I couldn't. 
It was in the middle of all of that chaos, of that grief, that my calling was confirmed and I knew that this is what God was preparing me all along to do. You know, God knew what God was doing. He always does. We made it through that time and I made it through seminary by the grace of God. All God wanted was for me to say yes and to get out of the way. And in following Christ, we are called to say yes to wherever he may take us, to whatever he may ask us to do. And all he wants is to trust, for us to trust that God is good all the time. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, God is always good. Last night, almost midnight, uh, and I keep my phone by my bed, I've received a text from a good friend of mine from England. I haven't talked to him in years, uh, but we're friends on Facebook, and he sent me a message saying, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm done. Because a friend of his, about the same age as me, had been murdered, leaving four kids. He said, I don't understand a God that would let this happen. I'm done. And I sent you this message thinking that if anybody could explain it to me, Maybe you could. I didn't have a great answer, but I told him that I was praying for him, praying for the family, and just asking what can we do in response to things that just sometimes happen in life, but it's a good question to ask, and we've all been there. When things happen in life, do we trust that God is still good even when we can't see it? When I was growing up, Great Britain had a 400-meter runner by the name of Derek Redmond. Some of you old enough to know might remember the story. He was one of the favorites to win the gold medal at the 1992 Barcelona Summer Olympics. I was all for him, being a teenager at the time and supporting my countrymen. He made his way through the qualifying rounds without too much trouble and reached the final, the last eight, one, one time around the track. But about halfway around the track, he pulled up and fell to the ground, clearly in a lot of pain. And as the rest of the runners went on their way, he slowly got himself up off the ground and started hobbling along, still in his lane, even after the rest of the runners had long since finished the race. He kept on limping around the track. And as he turned the bend towards the home stretch, a man jumped out of the crowd, and it was his dad. (laughs) Of course, the security people are a little anxious, like, who is this? But his dad ran over and put his arm around him and helped him to cross the finish line with the crowd cheering for him probably more than they had the actual winner of the race. In an interview several years later, Redmond said, you know, I remember falling down. I remember feeling my hamstring tear. But then I remembered where I was. And I knew that I had to finish that race. In the book of Acts, we hear about the life of the early church, these adventures of people like Peter and John. And at one point, they're commanded not to speak or teach about this Jesus, to which they said, and I quote, we cannot help speaking 
about what we have seen and heard. We enter into this new covenant with God and we respond to what God has done for us not out of obligation, not to check off a box, but because we are compelled to respond to what God has done for us, to live as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ so that the world around us might be transformed by us. Over the next three weeks, I'm doing a sermon series called What's Gra- Where's Grace? Maybe I should get the title of my own sermon series, right? Where's Grace? And we'll look particularly at the lives of King David, of Peter, and of Paul. And we'll explore in each of those people, where is God's grace? What is God's grace? How is God working through each of these people? But also talking about what grace is not. Because sometimes, and I've heard this said, which is why I know this is true, sometimes we have this idea that we can live however we want, we have a free pass to do whatever we want, live however we want, because, you know, there's grace. It's always grace. Nothing's really expected of me, because, you know, there's grace. I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to do the right thing, because, you know, there's grace. And we need to be careful with that. I read a great story this week, and some of you have already heard it, so just laugh and pretend like you have not. But it's a great story of a chicken and a pig who live on a farm together, and one day they're talking as farm animals tend to do. Your animals talk to each other, right? It's not just me? Okay, good. So the chicken and the pig are having a conversation, and they say, you know, our farmer is so good to us, he treats us so well. Maybe we should do something for him just to say thank you. And so the pig's like, all right, well, what did, what did you have in mind? The chicken says, well, you know, I think we should give him a really good breakfast in the morning. You know, maybe some eggs, some bacon, some ham, you know, what, what are you thinking? And there's silence. The pig's just looking at him. And so the chicken says, well, what's the matter? And the pig says, well, chicken, for you, that's involvement. For me, that's commitment. Oh, come on, that's funnier than that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) At the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and like I said, I love that movie, Charlie's the only one left. The others have failed miserably, but he still hasn't quite won the grand prize because he still has the everlasting gobstopper in his pocket, the prize possession of Willy Wonka. And so Wonka reminds him of this contract that he signed when he first came into the factory, and he quotes, under section 37B, it states quite clearly that all offers shall be null and void if, and you can read it for yourself, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc., facts mentis incendium gloria cultum, etc., etc., memo bis purnato delicatum, it's all there in black and white, clear as crystal, you get nothing, you lose. Good day. It's only when Charlie hands over the everlasting gobstopper that he wins the prize. If we set our minds on earthly things, we can all make a long list of reasons why we cannot, should not, maybe can't respond to the gospel that we have received. We can all make a list of buts 
just as the people that Jesus encountered did. But what would happen if we set our minds instead on heavenly things? If we remember all that God has done for us and we live into this gospel that we have all received. When Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, he knew what was going to happen there. It was not a surprise. He even told them this is what's going to happen, yet he went. In turn, Christ calls us to follow him, meaning that we must set our faces toward him. Yes, God meets us right where we are, and God offers grace for where we have come from. God goes ahead of us, and there's grace there too, absolutely. But we are called to say yes to the gospel that we have received and to trust God, wherever that might take us, whatever that might ask of us. Are we involved or are we committed? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we gather here on this day to worship you, to give you all the praise and honor and glory that is yours and is yours alone, you remind us of all that you have done for us. We receive your grace and your forgiveness, your mercy and your love without end, without bound. And yet how often do we give reasons why we can't respond? Help us. Help us to focus our minds on heavenly things. Help us to get out of the way. Help us to trust fully and completely that you are good all of the time. It's in Jesus' name we pray.